I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. Today I'm going to tell Montana about Eric Robert Rudolph. But first, Montana, what are we drinking today? Something strong. Something strong. (laughs) Yes. Today we're drinking the Black Forest. Uh, And just to give anyone a heads up, this is not a double thing. So Mm -mm. it's a one serving thing. And... I didn't pick this drink out. Samantha did because she has not let me know anything about her case. And I guess we're just doing this now. (laughs) Um, So thanks. (laughs) What's even more fun is it's going to be a while before you figure out why this drink works. Oh, good. Perfect. You know, I just love (laughs) a good mystery. Of course you Um, do. So what you're going to do is you're going to have, you're going to get, um, Three-fourths an ounce of grenadine, one ounce of blue curacao, a half an ounce of rich maple maple syrup, rich simple syrup. Uh, And it says in here how to make the simple syrup, but, like, y'all can just figure it out on your own. I'm not going to go over that. Or you can just buy it in the store. That's what I did. That's what I did because I'm lazy. lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, one and a half ounce of gin. Uh, and I actually, oh man, I meant to bring the gin bottle in here. I actually got a local gin oh, from cool. a store. Yeah. So I sub uh, tequila cause I was not buying gin. Yeah. Well, That's what I, I had. So I like gin. I think it's refreshing. Uh, and then you're going to get a three fourths an ounce of fresh lemon juice be sure to squeeze your lemons before you check out at the grocery store so you know they have actual <laughs> juice in them and you don't have to cut up eight because I don't know what that's like. Um, a cup of ice. And it says crushed ice. I did not crush my ice. Um, and a small bunch of thyme. So what you're going to do is add the grenadine, blue curacao, rich maple syrup, gin, simple syrup gin and lemon juice to a cocktail shaker and fill with a half a cup of ice shake vigorously for 30 seconds until combined which i did and i'm having a really hard time and maybe we'll post the video of it but i'm having a i got a i got like a fancy like cocktail like set to like make our cocktail so we can like post it to you guys and you can see it uh, I can't get the top off of it after I... <laughs> Doesn't it have a little thing that you can pull off of the very tip top? No. Where it strains oh, well, I mean, it? No, it's like... So it's a solid lid. It's a solid lid. And so, like, I put it on there. I'm, like, shaking it. I'm, like, I'm so fancy and stuff like that. And then I go to take it out, and I can't take it out. So I had my husband come and do it. And then he, like, mansplained to me how I'm supposed to do it. So then <laughs> I put it back on the way he told me to, and I shook it, and liquid went all over the kitchen so um don't listen to people mansplaining to you (laughs) i was about to say so lesson learned that's my tip to you um yeah shake vigorously for 30 seconds until combined carefully light the bunch of thyme on fire with a kitchen torch blow out the flame and invert a highball glass over the thyme to capture the smoke 
let's sit for 30 seconds. Fill the glass with the remaining half a cup of ice, strain the cocktail into the glass, and garnish with the remaining two sprigs of thyme. And you can put pink peppercorn on it. I didn't put the peppercorn on it, but I did get the thyme. Because I have it's quite so lovely. much thyme on my hands. Anyway, cheers. Cheers. I'm excited. Oh. Wow, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Wow. I like it. Okay. You know what? That's something I would drink another of. Well, they've been, hey, that's they've been something. kind of miss these last few times. <laughs> Not the very, very last one, but the one before that. Yeah. Ooh, all right. That one was a bit much for me. Also, Samantha and I both added Sprite to ours, so yes. it was like a more of like a because that's a drink drink, so we have kind of like a mixed drink. Listen, whatever drink you're making, if you add a little bit of Sprite to it, I do Sprite Zero. I do the same. Zero calories added to it. Give it a little bit of bubbly. If you guys hear me burp on here, you won't because I cut it out. So, Samantha, tell us about your story today. I thought you were going to say, Samantha, tell us about my burps. Uh, all Just right. because you have to listen to them doesn't mean <laughs> the listeners have to listen to them. I'm it. sure they appreciate that. So, to get started, I will also say um, a couple of the things that he's known as, and you'll realize who I'm talking about if you don't already. Eric Robert Rudolph was also known as the Olympic Park Bomber and the Birmingham Bomber. This, I'm just going to go ahead and preface this, because this may be a case that some people are not going to be able to listen to. It was very difficult for me to research and to write out. Um, he is just literally a terrible thing i'm not even i don't even feel like he's a human being um I, I actually just wrote he's just so terrible in his beliefs and his hatred for other human beings no language has words bad enough for these acts i'm not sorry for saying that this case brought up a lot of feelings and i'm honestly looking forward to getting past it it needed to be told though because this is what happens when you let hatred and anger rule your life regardless of what religion you use as an excuse or for validation so wait this is the uh this is the episode that you had told me about about two months ago mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I've been waiting on it and I thought you were going to do something different today I wasn't expecting this so I'm I did I'm that on terrified. purpose I am terrified about this but I am also very excited about it because I had not heard anything about this guy so. and I hadn't either it actually came up when I was trying to look for like ideas for cases to cover and when I mentioned it because I was like this is insane how have I never heard of this and because I remember this happened during, at the time where the Olympic Games were happening in happening in Atlanta, I vividly remember when that happened, like when the the Olympic Games were coming to Atlanta. I don't remember hearing anything about this, but I was also I believe I was in elementary school at that point. Um, yeah, because I would have been like 11, 10 or 11. But still, I would have thought I would have heard something. My husband did say he had heard um about it but he didn't know any of the details what would that have made me you were 10 or 11 i would have been this was in 96 uh six i would have been six okay but so that's one reason why i wanted to uh talk about it because the more i read about it the more i read about it the more i read about it and it was just like no i just i can't let this just fly 
All right, so let's get started. Eric Robert Rudolph was born September 19th, 1966 in Merritt Island, Florida. Oddly enough, he was actually born of pacifist parents who had met while protesting the Vietnam War. Rudolph's family was Christian and their religion was a big part of their lives. Their beliefs and faith were unfortunately tested when his father passed due to cancer in 1981 when Rudolph was 15. I will say there were very differing accounts between the research that I did where it was actually telling like factual information or things that were reported out. And then I was able to find a um, interview with one of his brother's ex-wives and she was talking about her experience with his family. And some of the things she said made it sound like they definitely had some very extremist views on certain things I wouldn't say to the extent that he ended up going down his path, but still I, if what she says is true, I can kind of see this would have, they would have put him on that path. It might not have started out that way, but I guess after his father died, it kind of, what are we talking more about and more so here? Are we like extremists, like on the religious views? side? Okay. Yeah. So when his father died, Rudolph blamed God as well as the government, who did not approve a risky drug that Rudolph believed would have saved his father's life. And the drug was called Latrail, or Latrail. Is drug he a doctor? That... No, but he was a 15-year-old that knew everything. Don't you know that? A drug that's been used to treat cancer in the past, but it's not actually been proven effective, um, and it's derived from apricot pits, but it's illegal in the United States. Regardless, his mother believed a new start would be a good idea for the family and moved to Nantahala, North Carolina. It's weird how often these cases, like they're involving Alabama, but they end up involving North Carolina too. It's just kind of odd. It just keeps happening. But this is where Rudolph's radical views and beliefs started. It's because we're both so intertwined, Samantha. Yes. We're leading That's the pack here. Uh, apparently. <laughs> He met Thomas Wayne Branham, which, again, I heard a differing account that his mom was actually friends with Thomas Wayne, and he was the one that convinced her to move to North Carolina because that's where he was, and actually even found the house that she ended up moving into, but that was only one account, so I don't know that that's necessarily true. It is one person's side of the story, so I'll mention it, but I, I'm nothing else supported that. In any case, he met him. And it was his neighbor at the time. Uh, Branham hated the government and had quite a lot of weapons that were taken from him when the ATF raided his home when Rudolph was 17. Obviously, this did nothing to improve Rudolph's opinion of the government. At this point, he had already dropped out of school. He actually dropped out of their public school before he finished the ninth grade year. He joined a group, quote-unquote, cult led by an anti-Semitic, racist, homophobic preacher in Missouri, and he stayed there for four months. When he so returned to... A white supremacist. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, all of those other things. Don't block return. our podcast for saying that. <laughs> when he returned to North Carolina, he got his GED and enrolled in college, but dropped out later to join the U.S. Army. During his service, he learned quite a lot about explosives and was able to attain the rank of specialist slash E4 after attending the air assault school at Fort Campbell. He only served in the army until 1989 when he was discharged for marijuana use. Because that's what you want a white supremacist to 
know how to do, and that's to make explosives. Absolutely. Well, obviously, he wasn't making that well-known. Even with his time in the military, he became more and more paranoid about the U.S. government. And that's one thing that I found rather odd. So I wonder if he joined the Army specifically to get this information, to learn it, and then use it later. Because he hated the United States government, so why would you join the Army outside of trying to get those specific skills? It does seem a little odd. And he, he continued to become more and more paranoid. Um, but he did move back to North Carolina and decided to take up carpentry. Wait, at what what age? I'm not even the one doing the case, and I've already done one. <laughs> All right. How old was he when he entered the uh, military? It didn't say when he he entered it. It would have been um, it would have been after the age of seventeen. So I'm sure he enrolled as soon as possible. Um, that's kind of what it seems like. But it says he only served until 1989, and it was supposed to be not very long. So he would have been 23. So, but he attained that rank. So he was probably there maybe a couple years. But that's right around the time that, um, what are they calling it now? Maybe it's just called schizophrenia. Um, that's uh, right when it starts time. to manifest yeah well males, typically yeah. yeah it's your it's your later teens early 20s yeah yeah in males um it has like a different like timeline for females it, and it depends it depends on there's a lot of different variations and severities obviously so that also makes a difference but yeah and that, one, of the major ones, one of the major symptoms is paranoia this is true <laughs> so... and he was obviously paranoid Uh, So he researched and attempted to find the right group, quote unquote, with the right, quote unquote, beliefs to follow, looking into various white supremacist, anti-Semitic and anti-gay groups, even one called Christian Identity, which I'd not heard of. It's a movement whose, quote, most fundamental teaching pivots on the idea that Anglo-Saxons are the direct descendants of the 10 lost tribes of Israel and thus are the true chosen people of God, end quote. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, and it's a pretty stupid question, and I'm probably going to cut this, but what's an Anglo-Saxon? So, that's English history. That goes back to, like, the that's the whole blonde hair, blue-eyed thing. Ew. Yeah. Okay. But you'd have to go into, like, English history and, and look at that, but that's kind of where that comes from. Okay, well, I'm going to cut that. I just wanted to know. Yeah, that's the whole blonde hair, blue eyed thing. English people, people from England. And that's originally where, obviously, all of us came from. (laughs) Most of my background was England, but it was also a whole lot of Ireland and Scotland. So, as I sit here. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, With all of this building over the years, his extreme views and major distrust in the government led him to make the fateful decisions in 1996 through 1998 that cost two people their lives and injured over a hundred other people. It was actually almost 140, I think, total. Followed by a five-year search while being on the FBI 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. He's responsible for several bombings, including the Centennial Olympic Park bombing, a bombing of the Sandy Springs Abortion Clinic in Atlanta, the bombing of the Other Side Lounge in Atlanta, which was a known lesbian bar, and the Birmingham Clinic bombing. 
These were all bombings he confessed to after he was caught. Spoiler alert, he was caught. I'll go through each bombing individually and give attention to the victims that, um, the, the two that passed away, um, and any other information I can, because I feel like they deserve a lot of attention, definitely more than him, but we have to go through the whole process. But I feel like I, I feel like I remember him like from my childhood. I mean, well, it was a five year search. So by the time he was found, it was in the year, it was in the two thousands. No, and he was and he was found in North Carolina, I believe. I remember the Birmingham bombing. Oh, that would have been ninety eight. I didn't remember it at all. Well, I I was here. I think the only reason I I remembered it was because she who must not be named had talked about it a lot when it was around. You know. Yeah, so that makes sense. Um, But I, I, I will specifically state the people that were hurt or killed in these bombings in no way, shape or form deserved what happened to them. This person, I'm going to say person, this will be the last time is a monster. There is no redeeming qualities of this, of this person, whatever monster. And that is what it is. So it's not going to get better from here. I hate to spoil it for you, but I'm going to go through, um, this is where I'm going to go through each of the bombings, give as much detail as I can. And then uh, we'll go from there. We'll see if I have time. I'm kind of kind of play this by ear because it depends on how much Montana has to say. And I have a feeling she's going to be a little irritated. So there might I'm be. always irritated, especially <laughs> when it comes I don't, to like you. I don't blame you for this perfect one. Perfect person. He's a white supremacist. Uh, and I have a. Using religion as an excuse, which is what pisses me off. Dead extra hate for somebody who is a white supremacist but you know it is what it is and i will try to be cordial towards you don't don't, okay yeah towards me please but (laughs) in general no that's fine so the first one was the centennial olympic park bombing this was in atlanta georgia it occurred on july 27th 1996 during the 1996 summer olympics in atlanta georgia before detonating the bomb Rudolph made two anonymous calls to 911 about the bomb. A Centennial Olympic Park security guard named Richard Jewell spotted the explosive device first and immediately tried to clear the area. Unfortunately, when the bomb was detonated, it killed a spectator named Alice Hawthorne and wounded 111 others. Another death that can be attributed to the incident but was not directly caused by it was that of, and I'm going to I apologize ahead of time. I'm probably going to butcher it, and I'm sorry, but I promise I'm doing the best. Malaya Yuzunyul, a 40-year-old Turkish news cameraman who suffered a fatal heart attack while trying to run to the scene. Sometime early in the morning, thought to be shortly after midnight, Rudolph placed a green U.S. military field pack, which was um, known as an Alice pack, that contained three pipe bombs filled with smokeless powder surrounded by three-inch-long masonry nails, which acted like shrapnel and caused the majority of the human injuries. He placed it under a bench near the base of a concrete sound tower on the left. The pack's initial position would have caused much more damage, but at some point, somebody had moved it, so it actually ended up preventing it from causing as much as it would have. Okay. Before the before the bomb was detonated, Jewell discovered the pack and alerted the GBI, which is the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, officers that 
um, there actually happened to be one or two there, who called in the bomb squad to investigate. They all immediately began clearing the area so the squad could investigate the bag. Two to three minutes into the investigation, the bomb was detonated before all the spectators had time to evacuate. There are videos of the explosion from a short distance away, um, and they are terrifying. They're bone chilling to, I mean, just the utter panic. Like they were already scared, but they didn't know for sure that anything was going to happen. And then when it went off there, obviously their first concern was, is there going to be another one? So they're, everybody's panicking. And then the immediate second concern is how many people are dead, how many people are dying and how many people are wounded and how do we get to them? Alice Hawthorne, 44, was killed almost immediately after the explosion when a nail from the bomb penetrated her skull. Her daughter was with her and was injured by the shrapnel from the blast that gouged a deep cut into one of her arms and one of her legs. Ms. Hawthorne, Ms. Hawthorne was a former U.S. Navy or U.S. Army lieutenant and co-founder of Fallon's Ice Cream Parlor, named after her daughter, Fallon. She was a receptionist of a local cable company in Albany, Georgia, and offered civil work for the Chamber of Commerce. She was also one of the first women to be accepted as a member of the American Legion chapter. She was a volunteer in the city's literacy program, had completed a chamber-sponsored leadership training program, and was managing the campaign of a local candidate for the state legislator. According to the New York Times.com, the Hawthorne family lived their lives for others, Mayor Tommy Coleman of Albany said. This lady will be remembered as a person who believed in coming together in the coming together of others and not because of a cowardly act of violence. And that's one of their main concerns was they wanted her to be remembered for that and not because she passed away. Well, not because her life was cut short by somebody who only has hate in their heart. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just reading like the information about her because I had to find a few different sources for it and that's why I didn't go through my sources at the beginning of this because it's like a page long but this was an amazing woman and her daughter there there's a couple interviews of her daughter um right after because she was in uh the hospital for a while because of her injuries um just a strong family and it was just ugh Makes me want to cry. I'm trying to keep it, keep it together. Okay. Right after the bombing, Jewel was hailed a hero. Later, however, he became a prime suspect by the FBI. The FBI and news media focused on him for months, making him public enemy number one, presuming him to be the culprit when he was genuinely a hero that did his best to save everybody he could. His home was searched, his background exhaustively investigated, and he became the subject of intense media interest and surveillance, including a media siege of his home. All this despite never even being arrested. What I, what I wonder is, so it's the 80s at that point. Um, um, this was 96. 90s. All right. So 90s. Um, they, they had like profilers available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was one of the things. They said that it was more than likely a loner and apparently he was, he didn't have like a family and and all of that. So he, to some extent, possibly fit the profile. Yeah, but But he was just in the wrong, like he was in the wrong place at the right time and saved people's lives and and they just immediately looked at him. 
Yeah, but my thing about that is, is like, what what profile have you heard about? And maybe we're not getting, obviously, we're not getting all the profiles that are sent out there. But what profile have you heard about where it has not met the actual, um, uh, yeah, the person, person to a T? You know, you can be if if one of the prerequisites for something was to be uh, an introvert, well, a sometimes introvert, sometimes extrovert, and weird as fuck. In social settings, I'd be screwed. I'd be screwed. It would be yeah. me. <laughs> I didn't see anything about what the profile actually was. Now, I put it at the end, but I can go ahead and mention it. There is a sort of docu-series. It's not a documentary. It's more of a dramatization of the the story. So it kind of goes through it. But it's called Manhunt uh, Deadly Games, I think. And the first, the whole first season covers Rudolph. And then the whole second season covers what happened with Jewel. So there was a lot to this. He also had a movie um, made about him that was directed by um, uh, Clint Eastwood. Oh, okay. So but, uh, there, there's definitely information. I, I did not have time to go into this and this was already getting long enough, yeah. <laughs> but so I didn't, I didn't specifically see any profiles, but I do agree. Like, how could they have gotten it this so this wrong. Badly wrong? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like he doesn't have a background in explosives. He doesn't like how uh, just the internet how? wasn't a big thing then either. So it wasn't like he could just go and look up how to make bombs. Um, no. And on top of that, like what this, did they at least apologize to him? Okay. We're getting there. Okay. While he was finally cleared by the FBI in October 1996, which was 88 days after the bombing, the damage had been done. That's it. He filed a defamation lawsuit against NBC News, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and other media entities and insisted on a formal apology from them. So no, they did not make a formal apology. They probably printed it on page 8 in the subsection and said, oops, our bad. All of those things weren't necessarily true or he, he was a suspect, but maybe we shouldn't have made such a big deal about it. So did he at least get like a monetary gain out of that? Because getting there. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. The the lawsuit accused Piedmont college president Raymond clear of falsely describing jewel as a quote badge wearing zealot unquote, who quote would write epic police reports for minor infractions unquote. The cases were later settled after 15 years of litigation with the Georgia Court of Appeals decision in July 2012 that the newspapers accurately reported that Jewel was the key suspect in the bombing and emphasized he was only a suspect in the potential issues in the law enforcement case against him. Richard Jewell died on August 29, 2007 at the age of 44 from serious medical problems related to diabetes. And that was from Wikipedia because it was very hard to find information. So he never, he never, from what I could tell, he never actually got like a formal apology from anybody. Not just that. He didn't get any like monetary pay Mm -hmm. out of what they did. I'm sure his entire reputation was just fucked at that point. So how, how often do people read the negative things about a person and they either don't care or never hear about the, oh, oops. Yeah, so that's not really pertinent anymore because it was found that that he was not guilty. I feel like that's kind of how it gets treated a lot. Oops, 
or, oh, he's not guilty. But instead of it being front page news covering the entire front page, page 82 has, oh, Jewel found not guilty or Jewel removed as a primary suspect or whatever. And it's like, hey, if you're going to give it that kind of coverage in one way, do it the other way too. Well, he should have been like lauded as a a hero. Who knows how many lives he saved by getting as many people as he could out. Oh my God. And paying attention in the first place to even be able to identify it. Assholes. Bunch of assholes. All right, go on. So, like I said, he had a or a biographical drama film that was released in the United States on December 13th, 2019, directed and produced by Clint Eastwood. It was written by Billy Ray and based on the 1997 article American Nightmare and the book The Suspect, an Olympic bombing, the FBI, the media, and Richard Jewell, the man caught in the middle by Kent Alexander and Kevin Salwin. Jewell is played by Paul Walter Hauser. So, please, by all means, look more into Jewel. I just, that probably could be an episode all on its own. That's just so after. Yes, yeah, it is. Up. I can't. And it's, it's really fucked up how often that kind of thing happens, too. His entire life was fucking ruined from that. And all he was doing was being a kind, caring, considerate, and heroic person. Mm-hmm. And his entire life was ruined. His life should have gone completely different. He should have been celebrated as a as the hero he was and received accolades instead of nothing but grief after he was arrested rudolph said in his statement on april 13th 2005 that his motive for the bombing was political in the summer of 1996 the world converged upon atlanta for the olympic games under the protection and auspices of the regime in Washington, millions of people come to celebrate the ideals of global socialism. Uh, socialism. Multinational corporations spent billions of dollars, and Washington organized an army of security to protect these best of all games. Mm-hmm. Even though the conception and the purpose of the so-called Olympic movement is to promote the values of global socialism as perfectly expressed in the song, Imagine by John Lennon, which was the theme of the 1996 games, even though the purpose of the Olympics is to promote these ideals, the purpose of the attack on July 27th was to confound, anger, and embarrass the Washington government in the eyes of the world for its abominable sanctioning of abortion on demand. The plan was to force the cancellation of the games or at least create a state of insecurity in order to empty the streets around the venues and thereby eat into the vast amounts of money that had been made to, or that had been invested in them. End quote, by the way. What the fuck is his deal with abortion? Does he have a uterus? We're just getting started. I I can't stand a fucking man who has an opinion about abortion. Like, unless your opinion is women have the right to do whatever the fuck they want to do with their bodies, you can shut the fuck up right now. Ugh! Do you have an opinion you'd like to share? <laughs> I just did. I just did. I, I completely agree. Um, I just don't. It, we're just getting started. You're going to have a lot more outrage. We. This is just the first one. You. They're, they're the. They're half the reason why people get pregnant. The fuck are you talking about? Oh. Well, and, and and consider the fact he was willing to kill hundreds of people to prove his point. Yeah. What a what. A, what hypocrisy? What hypocrisy is this? You're well, just they, gonna... they were justifying it. The, the, the point 
was more important than people's lives. Uh, I'll get into that later about why he feels like it was justified, but that mentality will never make sense to me. I will kill people to prove a point that abortion is murder and should not be legalized. And there's no reason. I'm sorry. What? I'm going to murder to prove that murder, like my de- my definition of murder is it's more better than what I'm doing to people who have got lives, can breathe actual air, have children of their own that they're children. protecting yeah, they're and taking I'm care not. of, you know, just but whatever, whatever. No, you know, what? whatever. Sure. sure so guys. that's, that is the Centennial Park bombing. The next one I'm going to cover is the Sandy Springs Clinic bombing. I'm going to need another drink. You probably are. Sorry. <laughs> the Sandy Springs Clinic bombing uh, happened at the Atlanta Northside Planning Services in Sandy Springs area of Atlanta, Georgia. There were two bombs to detonate on the same day within 45 minutes of each other on January 16, 1997. So this was about, let's see, seven. So it was about six months, just under six months after the Centennial bombing. The first bomb detonated around 9.30 a.m. near the building. No one was injured in this blast, but it did shatter glass, bring down parts of the walls and ceilings, and caused a small fire that was extinguished right away. It badly damaged part of the clinic's operating room, waiting room, and counseling room. Geraldine Thompson, a counselor at the clinic, would have been in the waiting room normally, but ended up being late for work. And I just got chills because it's like, oh, honey, you know, she was just like, somebody was watching over me that day. Is it, is it, um, and I can't remember which one it is. It's either morbid that does it or wine and crime that does it. But they're always like, if if you're not scheduled to work and you're called in, don't fucking go into work. <laughs> it seems like every time somebody goes missing or is murdered, it's because they weren't supposed to be at work and they were at work yeah. that day or something like that. I can't remember which one of those two podcasts it was. And it might be a different one, but I, I feel like it's one of those two. But Probably. I don't know. I don't know. I can't confirm. If, you get, uh, if, if you're going to be late, <laughs> late. You don't know if, I guess, a bomb's going to go off. Or... Yeah. In, I, there's no telling. I mean, how many times do we hear those kinds of stories where people come forward and they're like, if I had been on time that day, that would have been me. And oh. that's really creepy. Maybe you're running late for a reason um, outside of you're just that person. <laughs> Look, when I need like, you know, this is about to get deep, but uh, buckle up. Away. Uh, <laughs> if you... You know when you need like a really good cry, but you're not really sad and you just feel like you need mm-hmm. it. I, so one thing that I will do is read firsthand accounts of, and this is terrible, but it's firsthand accounts of people who were supposed to go to work at, at in the Twin Towers or they were late that day or mm-hmm. they were sick that day and like they didn't die and so, like, I'll read those. I'm like, you deserve to live. <laughs> Just like, it's it's the yeah, way. How terrible is it that we also have survivor's guilt? We feel guilty for yeah. living because if yeah. we had been there, we would be dead too. And that it does speak a lot for your conscience, I guess. But it's also just terribly sad. We should be, I mean, because you're, you're pulled in two different directions, right? You feel bad that you're living when other people are dead and you would have been. But 
also you feel guilty for not celebrating your life when other people could be alive. And if they were alive, you think, well, they would be celebrating their life. So it's like a double whammy. You just can't win. And I, I can see why if you need to cry, that would be a good way to make sure it happens. That's a great one. That's a great one. Cause I'm like, they're alive and I should be relieved. But also I'm thinking about everybody that died. And then I'm like, what if they had gone to work? And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're alive. <laughs> well, and that also, you know, that also speaks to your empathy and it's good to exercise that. Oh, gross. I don't have empathy. <laughs> you do. Anyway, we'll go, we'll move on to the case. The second bomb detonated near a trash bin in the parking lot. This was his first attempt of using the tactic of two bombs, intending to use the second bomb to injure or kill the first responders. Because the cars absorbed most of the impact, the damage and injuries were less than they could have been. Even so, six people were injured, including, listen to this list, an investigator from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, by the way, that's the ATF, two FBI agents, a firefighter, an ambulance worker, and a TV cameraman. While initially they could not prove that the abortion clinic was the target, as the building was three stories and contained offices for doctors, dentists, and lawyers, fair, Later, a letter was received confirming that the clinic was indeed the target. The bombing outraged many, including the president of the time, President Clinton. Wait, can I just, like, have you ever been so mad at your dentist that you felt like you had to <laughs> them? Not, like, not I, as of yet. <laughs> I understand that they have to, like, be, you know, take precaution however you want to, but... If a bomb goes off outside of an abortion clinic and the other things in there is like a dentist's office. and a, I mean, I've had some shitty dentists, but I've never wanted to kill them and <laughs> other people. Well, I meant like the lawyers. Yeah, okay. The lawyers. Like, like kind of. I, I just kind of understand. <laughs> what's the one thing that gets people so pissed off that they could literally kill somebody? Would it be a dentist? Probably not. Probably not. A lawyer? I mean, maybe that lawyer. Abortion? Yeah. Yep, that's it. That'll do that's it. it. So well, maybe and the one thing the one thing that was also mentioned um multiple times in multiple different um sources was that it didn't happen that often. Like we were they were at the point of almost celebrating that the violence had gone down so much. So then this happened. So that might have been like, okay, we need to make sure that that's really what happened here. And I'll get into it, but it is very odd that this one was targeted. Um, But I'll go back to what I was saying. Uh, President Clinton called the bombings a vile and malevolent act. Make no mistake, anyone who brings violence against a woman trying to exercise her constitutional right is committing an act of terror. All right, Bill. That's right. According to one of the medical assistants, Antoinette Sims, the clinic only saw patients on certain days, and the day of the bombing was not one of those days. Again, luckily. There were only three people in the clinic when the bomb exploded, and if it had been a day that they saw patients, it would have been 15 to 20 employees in the building, as well as the patients. So I guess, And like, it was at the waiting room, too. So almost all of them would have been injured. He wasn't fully informed. Correct. That would be the guess. Something interesting I found was that this clinic was not a well-known clinic. There were no signs indicating the clinic or where it was located. It was never advertised in any way either. They had never received any threatening calls, and there were never protests outside of the building. 
According to one of the workers, their principal function was actually family planning and counseling, not abortion. Uh, that's actually most of them, but okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, before this attack, the last anti-abortion violence in Atlanta was in 1984. Three clinics were firebombed, one of which being actually the same clinic, but in a different location. So the it's last just- the last violence was in 1984. And it was the exact same clinic was one of them, just that but it was in a different location. That That is interesting. Hmm. It's just very weird. And it, it wasn't well known. There were no signs outside of the building advertising for the clinic. And it just drives me crazy. So you would have to know based on the name what it was. And it, I mean, it does say planning services, but I, you know, it, it's probably, it was probably just like on the wall the way those buildings are that have multiple different businesses like there's a wall where it shows where each one which level they're on that's probably the only place it was actually listed unless he found out from his uh stepdad because his stepdad seemed a bit Mm-mm. well no it wasn't a stepdad he they never got married or his mother's his boyfriend. mom her, his, his mother's friend seemed unhinged yeah for sure so. Might might have been from him. Who knows? I, that's me speculating. It's, I just find it so interesting that people are so against abortion clinics because, listen up, I was poor for many, many years, didn't have health insurance, and you know how I got my birth control and my yearly hoo-ha exam? Planned, Planned Parenthood. And it was a lot cheaper, and uh, cervical cancer runs in my family, so I have to get it done, and it was cheaper for me. So if you're thinking about bombing an abortion clinic, don't fucking do it. They provide a lot of positive services that are very much needed, especially, especially for marginalized areas, which are the ones that are using it the most. These people need these services because Mm -hmm. they can't afford to go to a quote-unquote regular OBGYN. Yeah, no. I, I went to my OBGYN at the beginning of the year before I like met my deductible two years ago. I'm never doing that again. I can tell you that. Because it was, it was super expensive. I wait until mm-hmm. I meet my deductible and then I don't really have to pay for, for anything. So, Well, when it's my yearly, my insurance company finally got to the point where they actually cover it. So the yearly exam itself is covered fully so i don't have to actually pay anything go figure they actually did that and i, th- I do think that's a great service but again you have to have insurance mm-hmm. for you to have that benefit it is expensive if you have to pay it out of pocket so anyway we'll get off that soapbox there's plenty of time at a different one that i'll cover the timing of the attack was noted by city officials and civil rights leaders as coinciding with the beginning of celebrations of martin luther king jr's birthday as well as days before the anniversary of roe v wade the bombing of the Other Side Lounge, a gay and lesbian bar, occurred on February 21st, 1997, so just over a month after the previous bombing. Five patrons were injured, one of them serious, and some of the accounts were really gruesome. In this bombing, the detonation happened in the rear patio section of the lounge shortly before 10 p.m. The second bomb was located outside in a backpack hidden in some bushes in an adjacent parking lot. The police used a remote control robot to safely detonate it because it was identified before. Because, you know, this had just happened. There was two last time. They were automatically looking for a second one. Can Are you going to cover it later? Or can I ask, did he have 
a reason? Like, was there an actual reason for bombing a gay and lesbian bar? Well, yes, but I will go over it. Okay. I just, like, I guess to me, and I know that uh, I say a lot, most of them, whatever, whatever you say, white supremacists, that whole, like, far right extremist social whatever blah 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 they have stances on abortion and they have stances on like homosexuality and things like that and it's just like it seemed like his stance was on abortion so and not just abortion but abortion and black communities um and now he's going for homosexual people mm-hmm. like yeah so just, that's one reason why it took him a little bit longer to make to really feel like these two were were from the same person they suspected that and i don't remember if i get into this so i may end up having to like take a minute and figure out where i am but they did mention that was one of the reasons why it took them so long to tie the two of them together because they worried that it was a copycat somebody using the same detonation idea because it was a month. So it had been in the news using it as an excuse to go after this because um, that was his staunch stance. But at the same time, think about it. Nothing's been said. Nobody knows why these bombs are happening. So the first one's at Centennial Park, just a public place. Second one's at an abortion clinic. Not too hard to figure out what that was about. And now you're looking at a gay and lesbian bar. Okay. So no, yeah. They they haven't they haven't caught him. They don't know who it is. They don't know why. They're I, just all I was thinking bam, bam, bam. from the from the mindset of like when he had done the one at Centennial Park, you had also mentioned that he had done that because he was trying to deter funds. From but that was in his confession in 2005 after he was done. Yeah, and now I'm thinking about it. it was, you know, they wouldn't have known that. But at, at the same time, in my mind, I'm like, I was thinking of it from like an after point. He went from doing it for abortion, doing it at an abortion clinic, and then he went to a gay and lesbian bar. I just... Yeah, and, and it doesn't... it. it it doesn't make sense there. I'll go over it in just a minute. But the reason why I included that statement is because I knew you were going to ask, like, did he ever say, and I could have put it all the way down at the bottom, but it just kind of made more sense to go ahead and mention it there because he specifies it in his whole statement. Um, Cause his statement was very long as you can imagine. Yeah. No. Yeah. He sounds like somebody who wants to not <laughs> shut up. Hi, that's me. <laughs> That's true. Is he a Leo? <laughs> uh, no, September. Mm. Is that Sagittarius? Libra. Hello, if I know. Um, yeah, he was born September 7th, 19th. So. September 19th. I think that's a Libra. Hello, if I know. I don't keep up with. I, I, I know my own, and I'm doing good to do that. Uh, that makes him a Virgo. Oh, okay. Oh. (laughs) Never mind. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, Extremist is not uncommon. No, it's not. Okay. (laughs) 
according to the Hartford Current, the nightclub's patrons said they saw a flash, then heard an explosion that sounded like an electrical transformer blowing up. Local news reports quoted eyewitnesses who said the bomb apparently was loaded with nails. Signature. People were seen fleeing with nails sticking out of their arms. Several customers thought a lady had been shot, said bartender Rhonda Armstrong, who was mixing up drinks when she saw the flash and heard the loud explosion. She rolled her sleeve up and had a spiked nail through her arm. Did she Me- keep mixing drinks? <laughs> well, no, the, not the bartender. The lady that okay. people thought had been shot. No, she just had a nail poking out of her arm. Okay. It's <laughs> like That's what she's saying. She's in there just mixing drinks, minding her own business, sees a flash and people start running through saying a lady had been shot. Lady looks down, pulls up her bla- pulls up down her sleeve or whatever and she's like, "Oh. Huh. Should yeah, probably I, get that I, checked out." I thought it was the bartender. She was like mixing <laughs> drinks and she was like, "Huh. That inconvenient and just goes back to her job. <laughs> I, need, I need these tips, baby. <laughs> That would be a devoted bartender. Please, please, by all means, finish my drink and then go get your arm checked out. Memory Wells Griswold of Snellville, the most seriously wounded with a three to four inch nail in her arm, was in stable condition Saturday after surgery at Grady Memorial Hospital. The other four were treated at other hospitals. I thought this part of the article in the current was particularly sad and also unfortunately showed that Rudolph had done what he had set out to do, at least partly the bombing. And this is quoted from the article. The bombing stirred deep fear in Atlanta's gay community, the largest in the Southeast. Several homosexual activists said the community had not felt under siege since 1986 when the U S Supreme court decision in the Hardwick case, which upheld Georgia's sodomy laws set off a string of bomb threats, defacings and attacks outside of gay bars. That was a dark time for us, said Roger Hastings, a volunteer at the Atlanta Gay Center. There was worry that the court would grant us our human rights, and that triggered some intense homophobia. As it turned out, we lost. I thought everything was okay for us as long as you didn't venture out beyond the perimeter, said Terry Austin, a 30-year-old real estate agent, referring to the I-285 loop that separates the city from the suburbs. On Saturday afternoon, Austin and a group of her friends gathered at Buddy's, a gay tavern around the corner from the bombing site. I'm outwardly affectionate with my lover on the streets of this city, and I never used to worry. That's how far I thought we had come, she said. Now this, it's shattered our sense of security. It pisses me off so bad, and I'm so upset. And this was 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I'm this just pisses me off, because what pisses me off we haven't come that far that's what that's that's what i keep thinking we really haven't come that far away from this in 25 years no a quarter of a century and we have not come very far there was a there was there was a short time where it seemed like it was going okay and it was i openly dated women for many years without feeling any type of way about it but i uh, since i've moved away over a decade ago because i'm 80 million years old at this point i feel like it's changed i will never be able to fathom a mindset that a person's sexual preferences 
determine the fact that they are not a human being worth all of the rights and privileges that should be due them as a citizen of this country, period. Even the right to live. Yeah. I will never, ever understand that. I'll never. And I, I don't want to hear someone trying to justify that thought because if you're even thinking about doing that, I don't need to hear anything coming out of your mouth. I can't understand it from a sexual orientation aspect. I can't understand it from a, you know, the, your gender pronouns and things like that. I can't understand identity. Identity. None of it. Thank you for telling me identity because mashed potato brains. Yeah. Um, And I can't understand it from a race aspect. No. And for some reason, we're still fighting these same battles. And it's because of people like him. And it's because of people like... I'm not going to get into it. Never mind. Well, no, no, it's actually, just this is why I said this is going to be one of those episodes where there are going to be a lot of pauses. There are going to be a lot of strong feelings. There are going to be a lot of things said. Because this should make every single person in this nation upset. Every single person. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, what religion you follow. This should make you upset. This should make you mad and angry and want to fight him. And if it doesn't, I would say you need to look inside yourself and question what your beliefs really are. Because there's no reason why this should feel justifiable in any way, shape, or form. I don't care what your beliefs are. No, I don't care what your beliefs are. End of story. That's well, I'm just saying there is no justification. There is no way of justifying this. I don't care what you say. There is no place in the Bible. If that's what you believe and that's what you're going with, which, which is, I guess what he was using. There's no place in there that says that this is okay. Period. Not on the good part of it. We're not talking about the Old Testament because let's face it, there's a lot of stuff in there that most people would not say is okay. Talking about the part that you're supposed to be following, that second part that's about loving your neighbor as yourself. There's a reason why that's in there. And this is so far past it. It pisses me off. I'm going to move on because otherwise this episode is going to be two hours long. But this is going to raise some uh, some feelings. No, oh, I, mean, I already, I already have feelings. Should. I have so many feelings. I have so many feelings. Okay. So anyway, a letter signed quote unquote army of God was sent after the bombing referencing the attack and also confirmed. And this was the first time a letter was sent claiming credit for any of these bombings. Just to clarify. It referenced the attack and also confirmed that the clinic was the target noting anti-abortion and anti-gay motivations. Even without the letter, there were too many similarities between the abortion clinic and the nightclub to not think they were linked. At this point, the police believe the Centennial Park bombing may also have been the work of the same person, but had little to no proof. They went to the public with this belief on June 10th, 1997 in a press conference. And this part killed me, but I had to include it. Due to the decline in attendance, the lawsuits after the attack, and the cost to renovate the nightclub after the bombing, because they only received a very small amount for the repairs from the insurance company, 
The other side lounge unfortunately closed its doors for good two years after the explosion in 1999. It had been in operation since 1990. Is there anything currently about it? About the lounge? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it, it has nothing to do with that anymore. It's like a nail salon or something. It, it's a completely different business. It just sucks. Because, I mean, you can easily point to the reason why it closed and, and it's this. And I'm sure they're not the only one that was hurt after this. Because, like I read on the first-hand account, they were scared to go out. They were scared to go do things that they had felt perfectly fine doing in the past. Because this was all in one area. That's That's where the quote unquote their area was. And that's where a lot of the bars and stuff that they like to hang out at. I guarantee all of them saw a decline in, or uh, saw a decline in attendance and thus less money. And you got rent, you got to pay, you got to pay for that liquor. You got to pay for everything. So I didn't look into the other businesses there, but at the bare minimum, I would say they definitely struggled at least for a while. So that's all I have on that one. Luckily, nobody died. It was limited injuries, but still, it had far-reaching effects. Now, that was all that happened. Not that was all. That's a lot. That was that were that was the bombings in Atlanta. He then moved to Birmingham. The Birmingham abortion clinic bombing occurred in January on January 29, nineteen ninety-eight, around seven a.m. As the director of nursing, and at the time, she was listed as a nurse. No, no, ma'am. She was the director of nursing at the New Women or New Woman All Women Clinic, named Emily Lyons, and off and an off-duty police officer working as their security in uniform, Robert Sanderson, inspected an unfamiliar potted plant in front of the clinic. The flower pot containing a nail bomb exploded. Later, it was found that it had been detonated with a remote control and killed Sanderson immediately. It was the first clinic bombing in the U.S. to cost a human life. That's right. The very first bombing that actually cost a human life. The bomb also critically wounded Emily. While she lived, the act left her with numerous injuries, including many permanent issues. The following description is from Wikipedia is the only one I could find that gave a good description and it's really graphic so I am going to say trigger warning um fast forward like 30 seconds I can't so go on while I chug Lyons was severely injured one eye was destroyed and the other one was damaged her hand was mangled a, whor- a hole was torn in her abdomen that necessitated the removal of 10 inches of her intestines and most of the flesh was blown off her legs and hand She was badly burned, her leg was shattered, and shrapnel and nails are permanently buried in her body. I actually heard an interview where she said there are rocks that are buried so far into her bones they couldn't remove them. Lyons spent eight weeks in the hospital and has had over 20 surgeries. Even years after the blast, she continued using a wheelchair and had poor hearing and eyesight. There was another report um, from her where she said her literally her intestines were hanging out. And she was on the porch and the first person that was walking by that found out, like heard the noise and ran over, immediately covered her with his jacket while calling the police and the paramedics. 
I don't. <laughs> and this woman is a badass, by the way. I'll get into it. She lived, but barely. And it's only because she fought her ass off to stay alive. Oh, her intestines were hanging out. Mm-hmm. She has shrapnel in her bones. That oh. can't be removed because it would probably do more damage. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because I think it's important to talk about the victims, I wanted to take a moment to relay Miss Lyon's information, including some accomplishments since the accident. She was born in Montgomery, Alabama in 1956 and received her nursing degree from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, UAB, go Blazers, with a focus on reproductive health. She worked in various nursing fields and locations and even taught nursing at the University of Arkansas in Monticello. Um, Another quote from Wikipedia, because really, it was really hard to find any information from her, I think, honestly. She's very outspoken, but you just don't see a lot of articles about her. She does a lot of, she did a lot of like speaking engagements, but I don't know how much she really wrote. Lyons and her husband, Jeff, were the focus of media attention after Rudolph's capture. Lyons expressed a hope of speaking to him and letting him know that he failed. Lyons initially wanted Rudolph to receive life imprisonment or the death penalty, but during the trial spoke to news sources about her wish that he receive the death penalty and strongly objected to a plea deal. When Rudolph pleaded guilty and received life in prison, Lyons was extremely disappointed that he would not be put to death, but noted that other lives could be saved because Rudolph had revealed where he had hidden other explosives as part of his plea deal. Lyons has said that the bombing flipped a switch in her mind, changing her from a quiet person into an outspoken activist. In 1998, she testified before Congress in support of applying the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, which is shortened by uh, as RICO, to anti-abortion terrorists and has spoken in other venues in support of the right of abortions. In 2005, Lyons appeared in a controversial advertisement opposing the nomination of the Supreme Court of John G. Roberts, who seven years before the bombing had filed a brief opposing the prosecution of abortion clinic blockaders. I don't, I I guess that's like people that are blocking entry under the federal Ku Klux Klan Act. Those who advocated the use of the act argued that the obstruction of access to abortion clinics violated the civil rights of women and thus fell within the act's purview. Roberts, then Deputy Solicitor General, had argued that the protesters were only trespassing and should be prosecuted under state law rather than federal law. The ad contained images of the bombing and claimed that Roberts supported Rudolph and excused anti-abortion violence. Lyons spoke at Gnarl Pro-Choice America's press conference opposing the Roberts nomination. She also spoke in opposition to the nomination of Samuel Alito. Sorry. Lyons is the recipient of Planned Parenthood's Margaret Sanger Woman of Valor Award and Miss Foundation's Gloria Award. Lyons was the subject of a year-long documentary project by ABC News program Nightline, filmed from the day of the blast throughout her recovery during, during her first year, and that's some of the interviews that I saw. Lyons' experiences also form part of the 2006 documentary Lake of Fire, whose title comes from threats and hate mail Lyons received telling her that she would go to hell. Becoming Emily, a dance piece, is also based on her story. So that is about Miss Lyons. So 
badass. She has basically spent any and all of her free time advocating since her accident. Good. And her husband very much supports everything because he's smart. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. Officer Robert Sandy Sanderson was born June 19th, 1963. He was 34 when he was killed by Rudolph. He lived in Mount Olive, which is actually only about 20 miles away from my home, and was one of six people selected from the North Jefferson area to carry the Olympic torch down Highway 31 towards Birmingham for the 1996 Olympic Summer Games in Atlanta. I saw that. Yeah, they went right in front of my... uh, my school. I was there. I, I vividly remember that. I, my, uh, we were on 30, uh, like we were at this old like fruit stand, uh, off of 31. And it was like between Jemison Thorsby or yeah, Jemison Thorsby area. This is where my grandfather lived. So we like went out there and I, he put me on a car, like just a car that was sitting in there so I could like see over the people and like watch them run through. I How cool was it? Remember that. Yes. <sighs> and that's a once in a lifetime type thing too. So I'm all for it. It was, it was really cool. They actually stopped. I, like I said, I was in elementary school, but they ran right in front of us and they actually stopped our school and had us all come out to the front lawn so we could watch it. It was yeah. really cool. Core memory for me. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, something like that happens. It does tend to make an impression. Yeah. It was impressive. Wow. He was he was also a U.S. Air Force veteran and had served with the Birmingham Police Department for nine years. He was working an overtime assignment at the clinic the day he lost his life. Don't work overtime. He was survived by his wife and one child. He was laid to rest in Crestwood or Crestview Memorial Gardens in Adamsville. And a section of I-65 between mile markers 257 and 258 were designated in 2017 as the Officer Sandy Sanderson Memorial Highway. Okay. I was, nobody can see what I was doing. I was doing like pointing my finger up and down because I was like trying to think about where that exit was at. Oh, I was wondering what you were doing. I was, thought you were trying to tell me to stop. I'm like, I'm not stopping in the middle of a sentence. No, I was like, uh, it's right around there. And I have like a map in my head and I'm like pointing to it. But nobody can see that. It's so on you. <laughs> this is all pointless. <laughs> um, I feel like this is as good of a place to stop as any. Um, I can read the next couple of paragraphs, but that's it because i want to stop um because there is he doesn't get caught right away as i mentioned he's on the run for five years so i want to cover that separately just because it makes more sense um so i'll just leave that but basically shortly after the bombing in birmingham rudolph became the prime suspect for that bombing and for forensic evidence also tied him to the atlanta bombings in the previous year witnesses the reason why he was tied to it is witnesses had seen rudolph's truck leaving the scene just before the bomb exploded in front of the Birmingham clinic. And when they reported it, it tied back to him. Now he's primary suspect. Then they started getting some more evidence from, since they kind of started getting more and more evidence, they started tying more and more to the Atlanta bombings. 
Okay. By May of 1998, the police actually announced publicly that they were charging Rudolph for the Birmingham bombing, and he was wanted for questioning regarding the bombings in Atlanta in 1996 and 97. At this point, <laughs> just had to take a little aside. At this point, Rudolph's brother Daniel felt the family was being unfairly persecuted and cut off one of his hands with a circular saw in protest. I don't understand. I could. I could. Uh, Subtle. What? Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can protest. And uh, effective ways. That's, that's not, not one of them. them. That's not one of them. It, it made a statement. Uh, it, it wasn't the statement he was going for, though. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like anybody thought that. The, the only statement that that harms is himself. Absolutely. Okay. That month, the FBI also put Rudolph on the 10 most wanted list. Once December came around, the forensics provided enough evidence for the police to also charge Rudolph with the Atlanta bombings. November 2000, grand juries indicted Rudolph of all of the bombings. And during all of this, Rudolph was on the run and hiding in the Appalachian wilderness and the subject of one of the biggest manhunts in FBI history. And I'll leave you with that. Well, good job, as always. Um, terrible you. job. If I can hate it. Um, I'm going to have to go and rage at some point, but I can't rage because we're going to go ahead and record the second part now. Well, you'd rather do that than have to sit and wait to hear I the would. rest. I would. I definitely would. It just but you lovelies are, are going to have to wait a little bit. Yeah, you'll you have to wait just a hot dog minute. We're on like a recording binge right now, so <laughs> we're recording a lot of stuff because we have some stuff coming up. So you're going to have to wait a week, but I'm going to have to wait like five minutes. Anyway, <laughs> Samantha, where can our five listeners find us on Instagram? They can find us at Reaper Tales Podcast. You can find us at Reaper Tales Podcast on Facebook. You can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. And we're specifically asking for you to email us uh, if you are a listener at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com and to tell us how great we are because we need a little bit of a boost in our egos. Wait, that's just me. Um, it is helpful. It, it is doesn't helpful. make us feel like we're doing a good job. We'll also accept show suggestions and um, to tell us how pretty our hair is. Because I did my hair today, Samantha. What do you it, think? You did, and it's lovely. It's Take great. my word for it. It's quite lovely. It's great. Um, mine's, in, mine's in a clip, so nothing, nothing yeah. going on there. Well, you're always lovely, regardless. <laughs> it's gross. Um, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe to wherever you listen to our podcast so you know when our next episode comes out. And tell your friends, your family, and even those people that you hate about us. Because if you hate us, definitely tell those people you hate about us so that they'll listen. Anyway, until next time. The